0: Welcome to the Speaks Exchange Podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two.
1: Hi, I'm Don Taylor and with me on this Speaks Exchange podcast, I have Laurie Niles-Hoffman, digital learning and transformational strategist at nilesnolan.com. Laurie and I are going to be discussing the pitfalls and pivots during digital transformation. Laurie, before we get into what a digital transformation is, please, could you just introduce yourself?
0: Certainly. And thank you very much for having me here today, Don. It's a pleasure. So my name is Laurie Niles-Hoffman. I am located in Toronto, Canada, but I typically work on transformational projects uh, in the UK and uh, and Europe, as well as in the US. And um, I've been in L&D for about 20 years. I firmly believe that uh, right now as an industry, we're at the cusp of uh, transformation, and that's what I love to help clients do.
1: Okay, uh, very concise. Uh, Look, transformation, digital transformation, buzzword that's been bouncing around. (laughs) What does it actually mean, Laurie? Does it mean anything at all?
0: Uh, Okay. So yes, definitely a buzzword. And I think people are using it and I would also say abusing it (laughs) in different ways. Um, So digital transformation for me is not just about the technology and it's not just investing in technology. What it really is, is understanding how digital and technology can enhance what you are trying to achieve and help you achieve those um, outcomes on a faster basis so it's also to you know that there are some table stakes I mean it really is about what do you move out of the classroom what do you move off of paper and all of that okay so there, there, there is that element to it but I would I would be you know su- surprised to find a lot of L&D departments who, who really haven't figured out that not everything can be in the classroom but it's also understanding the possibilities about what you can do not everything needs to be an e-learning course what are the things that you can that you can you know start to understand and also the new types of data that get generated when you to a digital environment
1: okay so laurie you started off saying look we could do things faster Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to pick you up here but you may then you moved into we can get new types of data so we're talking here then i'm guessing about both a quantitative change, look, we can do the same thing faster, and qualitative change. There are different things we can do. Is that fair enough?
0: That is absolutely fair enough.
1: Absolutely. All right. Um, by the way, I wouldn't agree with you that there that every L and D department should be fully aware. That <laughs> this is something that's self apparently useful. Um, Fair, fair, and
0: fair enough. And and I also too want to be want to be clear. as, as, a, as a counterpoint to that too is that I do see some L and D departments who, uh, in the interest of saving costs, are translating everything from classroom into digital. And I think that that's also too a mistake. We do still need classroom. We do still need those those relationships. But uh, yes, do 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 see your point there.
1: So look, digital transformation. You can do the same thing faster and probably better. And you can, uh, in some circumstances, and you can get new things done. Great. All right. What are the advantages of doing this well? And by the way, who's actually doing it? Or are people just talking about it?
0: interesting yes uh I'd say there's a lot of talk um (laughs) and I would say there's pockets of people doing it well um and the people who are doing it well um it's interesting I know in some other conversations we've had you know I really find actually in the Nordics is one area where I'm seeing things being being done quite well and I, I don't know if it's the the design aesthetic or or where that comes from the ethos it comes from but you know I do see a lot of really Really interesting, interesting solutions there. Um, but yes, there's definitely a lot of talk, and I think it comes back to exactly what you said before: which, what is really transformation? You'll hear a lot of people talk about, oh, well, I put in a new platform. Okay, <laughs> was that your transformation? Did you change the way you operated? Did you change, you know, the types of, you know, uh, uh, data you produce? Or did you change, you know, how you, um, you know, work with your and liaise with your learners? Did you do any of those things? So. But to your point, what are the advantages of a digital transformation? I flip that around and say it's not about us. It's really about that user on the other end. They are at a point where for them to, we talk about upskilling as, as a positive thing. There's actually a tremendous amount of pressure on that person on the other end. If, if skills are within three to five years, one third of the skills you not, are not going to be viable. You're somebody on the other end who you have incredible pressure to, to just remain relevant or be made redundant so when I look at that it's that person on the other end that speed that access that ability to get the content that they need in a timely manner be able to share it be able to ask questions that to me is the real advantage it's for it's for for them of course that translates to better business outcomes but that's to me is the core of it
1: okay so you're saying the core of a digital a successful digital transformation is the experience and the of and the benefits to the user. Absolutely, absolutely. If we, if we talk about the user of a, of a, of a technological system. Um, okay, to, to help us really understand then what this looks like, what is it look like when a digital transformation is poorly
0: executed? Um, Perfect examples, one where um, they haven't analyzed what the actual workplace is like. You have to be an anthropologist, you have to go out and see, do people have mobile devices? Are if they're on factory floors, do they have access to an iPad or a desktop that they can go, or a laptop that they can go into? Rather than saying, Oh, this is going to be the solution. And I see that a lot. And, and I started off with mobile because I think that's a really big one. There's a lot of platforms that say we need to be mobile only and everybody's going to do things on their mobile. Not so fast. you know. Think about data plans and is it a company-owned uh, phone that people are going to be accessing this on? Um, yeah, it's convenient, but it's convenient from the company perspective. And I, I've yet to see somebody actually on the train not go to their Instagram first, (laughs) rather than their their, their LXP, just, let's just be transparent about that. Um, So that's, so that's one, one hurdle, uh, you know, that we, that we need we need to think about how much time do they have? What does their day-to-day look like? So rather, and I think it leads back to where we started, which is, it's not just, Technology first. It's not just throwing out a platform and saying people will use it. Um, it's it's really understanding how that is going to fit into their their day to day work uh, work life, and and it's it's almost getting into that whole uh, learning in the flow of work. How does how does that that happen? So that's what I think it's it's it's, it's unsuccessful. Um, is, you know, and also I would say it's unsuccessful if the L&D department themselves does not change. They have to think of a new way of working, they have to think of what it means to move from courses to resources. How does that happen?
1: Is it just the L&D department that needs Mm. to find a new way of working or is digital, digital transformation about how digital technologies and ways of working throughout the organization change is that fair enough
0: it's completely fair enough to say i always say that it is the best friend that lnd never had and that's the that's the people that you need to be taking out for a coffee and making friends with in addition to that marketing and communications um you know and you In all this transformation the other uh, you know people that you need to consider are also your stakeholders if you don't inform them and get them on board and really help them understand what this digital transformation is you won't have their support and what they will do is feel as though well I'm not getting the courses that I used to get I'm gonna go off and buy my own library and then you just have carnage so you 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 need to get all those people on board and also to you have to have those different relationships and, and be a lot more transparent rather than the silo go to.
1: So, you said there that L&D needs to get the stakeholders on board with the digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Isn't yes. That putting it, isn't that putting it the wrong way around? Shouldn't it, if it's crucial to the way the business works, shouldn't <laughs> they already be on board with it? Otherwise, it's never going to happen.
0: They have to be on board with it, yes. However, I often find with stakeholders, their expectation is still for L and D, just because it's in digital, to still be that order taker and to deliver, right. you know, what what they what they wanted. So they're still thinking in terms of courses, and they're still thinking in terms of you know, uh, just do do what I say. And the the fact is is when we're talking about digital, we have to get them to understand things like there's going to be new metrics. The whole idea of measuring, you know, bums and seats and completion rates and test scores. Yeah, they're important, but they're not going to be as important as understanding engagement levels. You know, likes, uh, dislikes, uh, shares, comments—all that. There's, so there's a whole education process that's going to to come with that to help them understand what what good looks like. And um, so, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey.
1: Okay, so let's look at the stakeholder bit in a bit more detail because sure, uh, I I think you raise a really good point here. The stakeholders can come in saying, we're expecting this digital approach to working, which includes some changes in L&D, to mean that L&D does the same old things in a slightly new way. So it's going to be a new way of delivering courses. L&D, you're saying, should turn around and say, great, love it. Actually, what we do is different. Now, a couple of questions there. Firstly, What's the metric, and you're saying it's engagement? Okay, that's yeah. something we should lead in, and possibly other things as well. But there, at any rate, there are new forms of data that we should lead with. Okay, second right. thing how do you convince your stakeholders who almost certainly have spent their lives regarding mm-hmm. this as a if you like a headmaster, teacher, student relationship, where L and D is the teacher, the employees, are the yeah. students, and the stakeholders, are the headmaster. Suddenly, it's a whole different, um, much less hierarchical approach. How do you how do you persuade them of that? Because that's crucial to this. Has very little to do with technology. Everything to do with people. Uh,
0: completely, completely. So what I. Talk about a lot is that whole notion of teacher student relationship. Mm-hmm. That the, the bars that just all falls apart once you put things um, in a digital context because the fact is, in a digital environment, the user is the one in control, they can click the X to close at any time, and even if you're making it lockstep and mandatory. It still doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, Instagram or Twitter open on another page. And as soon as they, oh, yeah, they stop talking. Oh, yeah, I got to click next. OK, so that is completely, you know, not not the, the point uh, of and, and, and stakeholders struggle with this. You know, they they, they want to say if people went through things till the end, they learned and it's like, no, they don't. And that's why, you know, when I talk about engagement, that really tells me it's a starting point you still want to measure, you know, impact of learning, but it is a starting point to understand what good content looks like and what, and what resonates also too. There's a different relationship between content and user in a digital environment. First of all, um, because you don't have that face to face relationship with that voice on the other end, authenticity is incredibly important. And so writing things in a way that's very, um, very cold, very sterile, almost like a textbook, that just doesn't resonate. If you look at even how news articles are are written, it used to be, you know, uh, know, very, you know, just the facts. Now you see there's storytelling, there's, there's, and because we figured out through the technology medium, through digital medium, that these are the types of, of, articles that people gravitate towards so we have to get out of that cold sterile place and in a way this is almost like returning to the classroom a robot does not teach you in the classroom so why do we bring that robotic element into our digital uh environments it doesn't make sense
1: you mentioned journalists now you you and and the journalistic approach to writing you hired a journalist didn't you back in the past can you tell us that story what what different did difference to sort of the journalistic approach to writing have to engagement.
0: So with the journalistic approach to writing, you're really looking at an inverted pyramid. So we if we think about how we write in L&D, you know, we 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 start we write a lot of times like the Bloom's taxonomy way, right? We also to, you know, if you think of if I'm going to write a course on which you shouldn't be. This this is a bad example. No one should write a new project management course because plenty exists. But say if you were, you're probably going to start off with the history of project management and da 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 da, right? And important players in project management. Then you're going to you know keep, keep going. So in in in. Uh, journalism, it's completely flipped on its head, right? Your headline is meant to tell the story in in, in a way that convinces people to to click on it. Um, And you're starting to with the key salient facts that you can skim and scan, and you may not even read the entire article, but you know enough. And so that's that's a really different way of writing. And I think we panic about that in L&D, because we think if we don't put everything in, if they didn't read it, they're not going to learn it. And the fact is, that doesn't matter. You want to give them what they need to know as fast as possible in a way that's also very, you know, relevant and timely. I think the other thing too about you know, journalism and it's a challenge even you know a challenge for me. But journalists, you know, don't use ten words when five words will work just as well. Be as concise as possible, and it's very difficult to do. But there are tools and techniques uh, that that you can employ, and and that that to me is about all about making your, your content brutally efficient
1: brutally efficient content where i don't think we're off track here with digital transformation that sounds quite quite fundamental can you just explain what you mean by that
0: right well i think it does actually f- f- still fit in with the digital transformation because you know we We'll see a lot of things that technically we can do, you know, gamification, notifications, all of these, you know, um, little videos that we can now create, you know, are really fast. And it, it comes down to just because we can doesn't mean we should. And we really need what to me, what brutally efficient means is what is the fastest and path of least resistance that we can build something so that person on the other end has what they need at the point of need and in the most concise format. So that that's that's a, a, a pretty uh, unwieldy concept, but but what I'm saying is you know really look critically. You know we, it, it starts with do we need a course versus a resource. That's a pretty good example of being brutally efficient. It's also too about getting the the tone and and um, media right so if you're you know producing a video does it have to have all the you know animations does it have to have the intro outro or is it simply about just making it tight and and, and simple do we need to make everything fancy with you know uh, avatars and you know graphics no sometimes just a simple video is 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 is, is very good you know podcasts like we're recording now um, but those that's what i mean by being being brutally efficient
1: Another thing about efficiency, and coming back to this point about journalism, I was reading um, "Make It Stick" or
0: yes.
1: yeah, which is a fantastic book. Yes. And they tell the story of a journalism class where uh, it, all the kids, or young students, go through this journalism class, and they all learn how to write as journalists. And of course, when you write an article, it gets cut from the bottom, so you have to you have to put the most important stuff right at the top. The question is, what's the story? Yes, and very often what appears to be the story isn't the story. And they tell this great lesson about Journalism 101. Everyone comes into the class, they're given a bunch of facts about the whole of the staff of the school going to visit a symposium where the state governor and somebody from Harvard will be giving a talk about whatever, new school methods. Everyone writes the same first paragraph for the story. Mm-hmm. And professor comes back and says you're all wrong. The first line is not there will be a symposium blah blah blah. The first line of the story is there will be no school on Thursday. Because if all the staff are going, the story is <laughs> it's, there's no school. So it's, it, you've got to think behind it. And of course, that pulls the audience in. So yes it's not a trivial task writing well and in fact I think Patty Shank has just written some great work on how to write to help people memorize. The other thing I want your opinion on while we're talking about minimalism is Clark Quinn he has this great phrase he's got which he's used for I don't know it must be at least five years possibly a decade the least assistance principle which is what's the least I can do for you and that's so much the opposite of the traditional Mm -hmm. approach of L&D. What's the least I can do because the idea is Get this person the help they need as fast as possible to be productive as quickly as possible. And I guess that's what you're talking about, Laurie, yeah?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I I think also we we discredit our our learner uh, a lot. They are your peer. And, and, and sometimes they may be beyond your peer. We, 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 it can't be so arrogant as to say that we know everything and that we, we can you know d- dictate what people must know. We also have to respect that that person may have 20, 25 years of experience or they've even maybe they have two years but of deep knowledge in a particular uh, topic. So who are we to, to make that decision for them? So we need to let them write and develop and design in a way that they can filter what they need very quickly. Because the fact is in digital, we're not talking. Talking about 15 minute increments or 30 minutes, we're talking nanoseconds.
1: <laughs> I really like that. And you said it right at the beginning. In this situation of digital, we are no longer in control. And yep. that's why engagement is so important because it's our proxy for is anything happening? If you don't have engagement, certainly nothing else is happening. So I, right. it's a really good point. Um, can we just, I've realized we're jumping around a bit here, but as you were talking, I make notes to myself and I, sure. I try to pick up on things. IT. The best friend L&D never had. I love that phrase. In my book, Learning Technologies in the Workplace, when I was doing research for that, I found that the really successful implementers, guess what, had an established relationship with IT. They didn't know this was a common factor across them, but they all had it. Either because they'd been working in that particular organization for a long time, or because they'd built it, or because in some cases, they actually worked in IT in the past. Right. Right. Okay. You said go and get them a coffee. What What's the fastest, most efficient way that listeners can go out and build a relationship with IT? Because without that, your digital transformation is not going to succeed.
0: Absolutely. So the first thing, I mean, yeah, I say go out and have a coffee facetiously, but also too, you, you need to get if you're if you're not in the situation where you can you need to get your CLO connected with your 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 your, CI, your CTO. Okay. I mean, that, that's just that's just table stakes. Or if you yourself are in that position where you can you have that direct line to the CTO. Make that you want to get somebody from your L and D team at least on their um, on their on their regular communication schedule. So whatever they're using, if it's a Slack channel or if it's you know Teams or whatever, they need to be on that. Um, you know, even if they're a lurker, they may not understand half <laughs> of what's being talked about. But what they they need to go in there and, and understand that. They also too you, you need to understand their 18, ask them for their eighteen month or two year rollout plan because the fact is they're moving ahead. And they do technology implementations several times a year. You know, a, 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 an l person, leader, maybe does one or two in their career. So understand what's coming on their roadmap. And then figure out, too, rather than you going off and getting a platform, understand what, where l could fill in and be augmented within what's already there. So start having that, that conversation. And then the, finally, understand, just ask them for their um, IT risks, so what, what what are the security parameters because that is fundamental so before you go off and build an app well hold on not so fast can we put the app actually on the phone can we are there's questions we can't and content we cannot have on the app understand all of that before it's going to save you a ton of headaches so so that's that's in fact if i said even without having a coffee ask them for the it security parameters that's probably a, a, another quick win
1: I would totally agree with you, except I would never go with a question first that is you. Well, asking for reports and stuff they've produced, fair enough. I I, I would always never ask for help. Uh, Advice is one thing, but never ask for help is the first thing. Build the relationship first. Okay, I I call this structural influence, and I think it's something that L&D's typically quite bad at, because we like to be in our area doing our thing. The reality is, though, for any form of work we need to do with the rest of the business, we need to have structural influence. IT department is one area. If we're going to do something that's a change program involving digital transformation, what other groups do we need to be in touch with, Laurie, in the organization and your experience? Because you've done this. You've seen people doing it effectively and effectively. Who else do we need to have on board?
0: uh you also need to have on board um believe it or not uh finance (laughs) that's that's your 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 big one because you know they look at l and d as just a line item Uh, and they they don't see the, the the value so you need to understand what is of value to them, which is obviously going to be profit, but understand how they, how, how do they budget things? How is it allocated? Where does it come from? Where, where can you, you know, bake, borrow and steal and, and, and be able to speak their language back to them. They don't care about learning objectives. <laughs> Just be clear. They, you know, they're being countered. So you need to be able to translate back what you're doing to them. So, so that's, that's, that's the other key relationship. The other one that I love as well is marketing and communications because I do believe that a lot of what LD does is actually marketing and comms, and you should be partnering with them. Um, in, in organizations where, where you are able to do that, I actually recommend having those two so closely linked that when work comes into LD, they're using the same you know, project management tracking, and you just pop it over to marketing and comms as seen fit. Because oftentimes, marketing and comms is already building stuff or has the digital assets and you're double dipping, people people don't know that, that that exists and there's no, I don't need to build another course on a product because I can bet there's a, a digital brochure or something else that exists already built by, by marketing. What I need to do is maybe a course on how the features and benefits, right? Or, or infographic on that, whatever it is. So that that's, that's a really key thing. Also too, why marketing and communications are really important is they already made the transition into digital probably 15 years earlier than we ever did they know what works and what doesn't work and they understand the engagement metrics they understand how you deploy um, a message they have that and so work with them because they will be able you don't need to figure it out on your own comms will tell you exactly whether people are likely to open an email or a text you know versus you know uh, you know whatever right so so they'll be they'll know all that about the organization so that's a key relationship as, as you move into digital
1: I love that and it's so well expressed I'd like to also your your emphasis on those three things there there's relationship you've got to have that there's the common tools or shared um yes. communication I hadn't really thought about that as much as I need to but you're absolutely right very often uh L&D and Malcolm's, uh, offer operating on parallel tracks and as you say double dipping and finally there's the shared data and the shared experience there there's so much we can learn from Marcom's for exactly that reason just one thing you said finance will be interested in profit not necessarily they may have another metric that market share it might be a non-profit organization but whoever it is we've got to know what the hell it is otherwise
0: completely completely
1: Finally, steering committee, something I know that I've seen used successfully in transformations in the past. And I always say that you need, I think Nigel Payne calls this aerial cover, the idea being that you're fighting on the ground, but you need people up above you to just keep the air clear for you. Have you seen that work? And if so, what's important to remember about it?
0: Uh, absolutely. And, and, and ex- excellent, excellent, um, excellent addition so right. And I, I actually have not heard that expression by, by Nigel. Um, and I read all this stuff. But I love that, that that analogy, because it can feel like you're fighting a war. Um, <laughs> but yes, you, you, you need to have that relationship. But just like finance, L&D, they kind of get into this verbal or, or written where they want to explain everything about L&D. That steering committee doesn't care. They don't. I'm sorry. I know you get really excited about it. So you need to have that 30 second, you know, pitch to them to get them on board and understand what it is you're trying to do from their perspective, not from your perspective, but from theirs, get that message right. Because otherwise you're just going to be seen as, you know, sort of this weird unicorn off on the side and we kind of have to have it, but whatever. So you need to think like them that you need to put that business hat hat on.
1: I don't think anyone's ever described me as a weird unicorn. Possibly (laughs) weird, but not so much the unicorn bit. Um, (laughs) The steering committee, it's a two-way street, though, isn't it, as well? We have to push stuff up to them, but also they can be incredibly useful at providing information and insight from elsewhere. Let's say you've got somebody from Legal, someone from HR on there, they can let you know just a few tweaks to get the rudder and the ship going in the right direction
0: completely really really good insight there Don it's it, it is that two-way street um and it, they they also too will, will be able to tell you that, that hierarchy of influence you know where who who do you need to get on board and they'll, they'll have those the, those honest reflections for you.
1: So look I found that the people who are best at putting together this whole network of structural influence and the right team very often your team might consist of a core group of people and ancillary so people who come in from time to time from other departments, even from vendors and partners, and they they, they share the space and they go away again. But building the team, building the structural influence and so on, requires, or sorry, it's very often done successfully by people who've been in an organisation for a long time. What if you haven't been in an organisation for a long time, you don't know people, how do you go out and find the right people to have on your team and in your sphere of influence? What do you do, Norik?
0: So as for when it comes to digital, and I'm, I'm being careful to say digital for a reason, um, because the first thing you wanna do is look at the any social platforms, Slack, any of those things that people are using to get their work done and find the influencers. Because, and the reason I put the caveat under digital, because there are a lot of people who just fly under the radar, but in digital, they're going to be really active because they're passionate about digital. So this wouldn't work for any other any other um, you know theme. So go in and find out who's talking to whom. See if you can talk to marketing. They'll tell you who is connected with whom. Where are the where are the silos? Understand those networks because sometimes it'll be, yes, you'll have somebody who maybe is the CTO, but I'll bet they have somebody that they are hyper-connected with, you know, 40 times a day and is a trusted advisor that maybe is a senior manager or somebody that you wouldn't even have considered. So that's the place that I always like to go, and I, I cyber-stalk people. Also, go on LinkedIn, find out who they're connected with. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, yeah, that, that's, that's not, a, not a good term. Maybe I just... I look them up, but I understand what that is. And a Google search on those people, because that will also tell you, if you don't have maybe access to the, the, you know, the steering committees, if you're in a large organization, you might have not have that. Find out where they've been published, what they're talking about. Um, understand that because that'll, and, and look at when they post something, who shares that article within the organization, because that will tell you who they're connected with and how you want to get uh, through to that and who, who are the people who are really talking.
1: Now, What you're describing here is a fairly sophisticated type of um, network analysis, but done in a qualitative way, looking at what's really going on in an organisation as opposed to what the organisation chart says is going on. Does everyone in L&D have the skills necessary to do that? What tips can you give them?
0: Oh, uh, hire hire somebody who's like 21, and 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 then like, or seriously, hire a 14 year old. I I'll even say that. And I, I hate using the term millennials and all that because by definition, even though I have a milestone birthday tomorrow, um, I am like a 12 year old boy because I'm Pokemon level 38. But what I'm just saying is, bring in yeah. If you if you don't feel you have the skills, just just God ask a kid. They they they, they know how to do this for free. Maybe not on LinkedIn, um, but I I also think too look within marketing and comms again ask them for that even, even if you don't think you have those skills on your team quickly yourself look on LinkedIn and see who may be active is active on your team because guaranteed they've already figured out how that works
1: I think it's really good I do occasionally sit down with my son and my daughter who are 17 and 21 and yes. uh, I just asked them, well, how do you know, looking at this YouTube channel or this Twitter account, that this person is reputable, uh, yes. and so on? And they can immediately give a swathe, of, let's say, ten different clues on a mobile screen as to what this person's, how this person shows their validity or otherwise as an influencer. Um, yes. And look, in the notes of this, by the way, when you're listening to this, I'm going to drop in. A, a, a really good blog post or sorry it's not a blog post it's an article on medium by henry ward about the shadow organization chart which is really good uh, just an example of the ways of looking at an organization that has nothing to do with the organization chart and everything to do with network analysis and where the strong connections are between people in the organisation,
0: and what's interesting, and I, I'm I'm glad you said that about um, you know about asking you know your kids for for that, is What I also find fascinating too is, I mean, I thought I was you know social media savvy, but then you know I talk to my friends' kids, and they automatically can tell what are spoof accounts, what's fake. Yeah. very quickly very quickly and that that I think also too is something that that comes back to that authenticity and understanding that because that 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 detector is so high when people are online
1: and I guess of course Laurie that if you're working with somebody who you imagine is a an influencer but they're exhibiting the wrong behavior online if you like the digital body language which I'll ask you about in a second that's going to mean that you've got the wrong person banging the drum for you. People are not going to, they may not even take them seriously. They may even regard their message as being in a negative light. Correct. So yes, we've got to pick our influencers with the same care as everything else we do on our team. Coming back to digital body language, it's not exactly, of course, I haven't used the term quite exactly there, but I know that's a big thing of yours, Laurie. just want to quickly um, share something with us about it.
0: Sure. So digital body language is really understanding the behaviors of of, of people online within your organization. So just like when we were in the classroom, arms crossed, looking out the window or making eye contact or laughing, people give these exact same clues online vis-a-vis whether they how long they view a video what time of day they view it uh, what they click on what they share what they comment what they bookmark what they they like all of these are clues and just like in the classroom where we respond to them we want to do that same response in simply in digital format so if we see that people are very active Monday morning push your content on on Monday morning even if your stakeholders say well we really want it to go out on the 15th because you know that's good for us no you want to put a wick at that window of opportunity opportunity. opportunity. If you find people consume more video over, um, you know, PDFs, video, obviously, for whatever reason, is something that just that's appealing to your your audience. So and understand, you know, the length of video, what type of video, do they prefer talking heads? Do they, which probably don't, but do they prefer, you know, candid videos? Do they prefer more production videos? So what is that? Start to to, to understand that and be able to, to answer that in kind. Otherwise, you're simply shouting into the wind and hoping somebody hears you
1: who originally produced the term digital body language sorry.
0: yes he's uh, Steve woods so I worked for Steve uh, at uh, Eloqua. he was the the chief technology officer there uh, phenomenal book he has digital body language urge you to, uh, to, to have a look at it and this was actually written for marketing it was written for marketing automation and so it's 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 again when I talked about how Mark mark Holmes have, have gone through this digital transformation about 15 years before this is exactly and the book is, is, is around that age, I believe it was 2007, I'm going back in, in my dates, no, nope, 2000, 2009, okay, fact check, that was a, a real-time fact check, so, so yeah, so, so 10 years, but it's, it's, a, it's a great read, um, and, uh, you know, and I, I still love talking to, to Steve about it, and, and in, in it's interesting, they now work for a company, or now have started a company called Nudge.ai, and the reason I mention that is not a plug, well, Plug to them sure because i really i really like them and um, they think they're doing great work but it's understanding um how sales relationships work I'm going, to, I'm going to explain in a horrible way but that's also too. look at their site and you'll see that's where lnd's probably going to be looking at some of their methodologies in the next five years is what i predict
1: laura we started off talking about digital transformation and as always with these podcasts because i i like to have a chat with people i like and wander around the houses a bit we've we've had a nice look along the way, smelt the roses. And, and we've all the way through, there's been this common thread of people. What is it that is so important about people versus technology and digital transformation?
0: Well, for this, um, and Ed Monk does some great work on this and the importance of getting the human right in technology. I think what it comes down to is, you know, Technology is only relevant if that person on the other end gets something from it. And so if we aren't thinking in those terms, that then 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 simply forget it. When you put something online, think of all the other things that is are competing. You know, they're getting a ton of notifications on their phone, their email, their their kid texting them, their whatever. Why do we think that our notification on, hey, it's time to do your AML, isn't this great? No, they don't care. So you you have to understand that 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 environment and what that how that human is feeling. I think also, too, the other thing with technology is – and I started with this about, you know, people are under incredible pressure to to upskill themselves – By the same token, these, and maybe depending on where they've come from, they may not also be as technology savvy. So we need to, we can't add another hurdle to that to make it even harder for that person to, to get what they need to get to. Now, I also don't want to make the assumption that just because somebody's older, that they don't have, you know, they don't have the technology skills because I've seen that disproved so many times. And I think we need to get out of that, that, that paradigm. Um, But so you really have to, it has to be a human-centric approach. We also need to think, too, of our L&D teams ourselves. We need to upscale. We need to go through that transformation. You're going to have naysayers on your team. You will. So you need to think about that as well as you go through that digital transformation.
1: I, I, I just want to come back to that point before we wrap up. Sure. Very often in digital transformation projects, the, one of the biggest blockers that I've seen has been the L&D department itself, because they feel that their, I was going to say their livelihood, more than that actually, their yeah. professional existence is at stake. Yes. Any tips about getting the L&D team on board?
0: This isn't going to sound like a tip, it's probably going to sound a little, a little harsher than I mean it, but when we do these digital transformations, I say a third, a third, a third, and what do I mean by that? When you start them, you're going to have a third that are right on board and ready to go, and they're already there. In fact, they're probably the ones who've been frustrated, and, and they want to see the transformation happen. The second third is like, I get it, but I'm scared. I don't know how this is going to impact me. Can I make it? You know, can I can I do this? And so, so they're going to be feeling that 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 pressure, and you need to give them a lot of love and get them get them ourselves. Like shoemakers' children, we need the shoes. We need to be upskilled as well, and then you're going to get a third. That aren't ever going to get on the bus, and 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 it's sad to say, but as a leader, you're going to need to look really critically at those at the, at that spread. And you know what? The fact is, is that times where I've been, I hate to say it, forced to bring that third along, it's been dire. They've hated it too. It, it's it's not that it, you know I'm being I'm being cruel. They have not enjoyed the experience, and they tend to attrit. So what we do is proactively say, look, these people are going to be ha- happier elsewhere. I'm not saying terminate them because they've got a, a lot of skills, but. They may not, they may not be viable in this new environment. How can we help them get to someplace where it is going to be, where they are going to feel professionally successful, and they're going to get something out of it? Because let's face it, on this journey, they're not going to enjoy it. So, 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 there's definitely, definitely that you do need to put aside some investment for that upskilling. Um, you know, that that's going to be part part of the the transformation. Um, and when you see the detractors, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm Stalin, but you've got to get <laughs> have the open conversation. But the detractors detractors can only go on for so long before you have to say look you know what this is this is this is where where we're headed
1: anybody i think who's ever managed a substantial team which has had at least one detractor in it will recognize what you're saying yeah. and i cannot think of anybody i know or any circumstance i've been where i've managed a team where I don't wish that I'd given the detractor, the ultimatum, anything other than sooner. It's always better to say, look, this is how things are going to be. We'll support you coming on board. And if you don't want to come on board, that's fine too. Let's talk about it. But let's not, in my case, Laurie, be very British and pretend there's nothing wrong. You have to confront these things. Absolutely, absolutely. Andy Wooler of Hitachi has a great quote on this. He says, you can do anything with technology, but people can also stop you doing just about everything. And that's my mantra on this. That's why the people side of it is so important. Laurie, we've smelt the roses along the way. We've had a great conversation. We have to end with the two questions that we ask every interviewee. What do you wish you'd known when you started in learning and development? And what are you curious about right now? So Laurie, what do you wish you'd known at the start?
0: what I wish I'd known in the start of L&D is that not everyone thinks like me. And so that sounds really basic, but you have this worldview when you're young that, oh, well, I like it this, you know, I like content this year. I like to learn this way. Therefore, I'm not talking about learning styles. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't paint me with that brush. But understanding that you need to understand how people are going to use content, engage with it and, and check your biases. Just because you like things in a certain way is not going to be you know, the way that everybody does that. And I, and I think, so you watch more, observe more and, and appreciate how other people think and experience learning. So that's completely, it sounds so basic, but I don't think we do enough of it. We jumped a lot to solution. And I've, I've done it a million times too. I used to be on the platform, you know, build a, you know, build a new platform, build a new app now. Um, what am I curious about right now? I'm really curious about learning in the flow of work, but understanding that that means the LXP or the LMS or whatever the cool kids are, are calling these tools, is probably not going to exist in a way that's even visible to the learner. It's going to become a back-end vis-a-vis like one of the marketing automation tools. You know, nobody sees an Elko, nobody sees a Marketo, but they're there. And I think that's going to be really interesting how L&D manages that shift because we will not have a presence in, in the sense of we will not have the portal, we will not be the destination, but we will be there within their day to day. And I'm curious if L&D will appreciate that or will we be too ego driven to, you know, and, and, and will we see that as a threat? Because I don't think it's a threat at all. I think it's actually helps us uh, quite a bit. So that, that's what I'm, I'm most curious about right now.
1: If your goal is helping individuals and organizations succeed, it's not a threat. If your no. goal is to be loved because of the content you produce, Correct. it is.
0: Correct, so that that's gonna be that's that's what I'm very interested in right now.
1: Well we'll invite you back in a couple of years time to uh, <laughs> episode 500 and something and we'll explore what, <laughs> what happened to the uh, invisible LMS, as many people call it. Laurie, Niles Hoffman, thank you very much for being our guest.
0: And, and thank you, it's always a pleasure to chat and I really appreciate this opportunity.